0: You all can be seated. You can uh, open up your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. We're going to finish this chapter today, uh, and then next week we're actually going to wrap up our whole series that we've called Building Up. We're going to do the first several verses of chapter 15, uh, but we're going to look at the end of 1 Corinthians 14 uh, this morning, uh, a sermon that I'm calling The Gathering and the Gifts. Part of uh, maturing as a human being, I would say, and I'm still learning this, I think all of us are learning to do this, is uh, part of maturing is to learn to appreciate the boundaries that have been put around you or the restrictions that have been laid upon you, whether by parents or teachers or government. Uh, That is part of growing up. There are things that, there's rules, there's restrictions that are placed over us that a lot of times we just bristle at uh, when we're younger or even when we're adults. Uh, We don't see that therefore good we don't like them and the restrictions that they place upon us but part of maturing is to learn to see the good in those things to learn to see the wisdom in the giver of those things uh, that they're not just seeking to manipulate us or or uh, contain us or be a killjoy for us but there's wisdom in the rules and the guidelines that they've given to us and we, we see this throughout the life stages uh, When we have toddlers or young kids, we might have to tell them that they can't have that third donut. Sometimes I have to tell my kids that or myself that, that we put rules about uh, diet around ourselves, and that's for our good, even though we don't see it that way at the time. We tell grade schoolers that in today's day and age, at least that they need to put their screen away or turn the screen off. They can't watch that fifth YouTube video or whatever, that we we put restrictions on how much time they're allowed to do certain things like watching things or playing certain games. Uh, we, as someone who's been in youth ministry for a long time, that when the, we're in middle school age, sometimes we have to tell middle schoolers, you have to take a shower today. Like that is a rule. Like yeah, that's going to happen. And they might not understand why. Uh, high school age is when uh, this really comes to a head where there's a lot of restrictions that we need to start to place on young adults. We tell teenagers in high school that they have to wait to drive, that they have to wait to date, that they have to wait to drink alcohol, uh, that they have to, uh, they can't stay out past certain hours, they have to be home and in bed by certain times, Uh, that these are hard things as young adults that we can feel as if it's just restrictive and just purely a, a, a power play or a control play by our parents or our teachers or authorities, but part of growing up and maturing is seeing those as good gifts. As kindnesses to us that that guard us, that protect us, that prevent certain things from happening that could have easily happened if we were just left to our own devices. And what we're gonna see in these last several verses of 1 Corinthians 14 is we're gonna see the Apostle Paul graciously but kindly setting up some boundaries setting up some restrictions, a fence almost, around the practice of certain spiritual gifts, uh, particularly the gifts of prophecy and of tongues in the, the gathering of the local church. And my guess is, based on piecing together some of the backstory of what was probably happening in this church, is that when they received this letter and read some of what we're about to just read and heard these rules, that some of them probably bristled at that and thought, oh, there's Paul, like, just trying to control us from afar again, like, he he's not here, like, he doesn't know, like, we should be able to do what we want with these things Um, but like them and I trust what happened in their church over time and what we need to learn is that these restrictions especially if they're given by God not just by Paul if they're given by God they're for our good they're not just to limit or restrict us in some cold way, but they are for our good. They're for our protection. They're for our preservation as believers and as a local church. And so, uh, Paul, we're going to see with this church in Corinth, and we've got hints of this as we've gone through the last couple of chapters leading up to today's text. Uh, this church had, if you want to think of a fence of, of restrictions that Paul is about to place around them, they had gotten outside the fence. They had, they had gotten a little wild and overkill and too numerous and uh, chaotic in how they had practiced certain spiritual gifts. And Paul is trying to set a perimeter, so to speak, uh, a fence line saying, you all need to be, come back inside this. Like You need to do less of this. You need to do it more this way. You can't do and share these things unless certain things are in place. He's trying to kind of snap them back, uh, put more restraint on them. We as a local church here, uh, if you've been here for any time, when it comes to these spiritual gifts, we have not practiced these publicly at all, Uh, the gifts of prophecy and tongues. So it's not that we've gone wild and gotten chaotic and outside the bounds of the fence and need to be restrained, but we are kind of in the middle. We're in the house where we've been maybe nervous or maybe theologically we have had reservations uh, about using these gifts. But as we've seen, I hope, the last uh, several weeks, we've seen that these are good gifts of God and that they're to build up the church, they're to bless the church when they're given and when they're used. But we need to, no less, see what these boundaries are because as we start to practice them, as we start to step out of the house, so to speak, and see, man, what are these gifts like? How are they to be used? It'd be wise for us to know well in advance where the boundaries are and what the rules are and where the restrictions are so that as we seek to practice these together, if the Spirit would give them to us, we know uh, where the edges are. We know what to not do. We know uh, the safeguards that God has put in place for us, and I trust that we will receive these at the very beginning as God's good gifts to us. These restrictions, these boundaries that he places Upon us, And so uh, I'm going to read for us our t- today's text. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through the end of the chapter, through verse 40. And then, like I said, next week we'll pick up the first several verses of chapter 15 uh, to end our series. But if you have not been here, we've been talking about spiritual gifts the last several weeks. Chapters 12 and 13 and 14 are all about this. This, this was a, a, a letter that Paul wrote to this early church, and a big chunk of it, these chapters we've looked at, are about spiritual gifts, how to use them, them, what they're for, uh, the cautions about them. And we're going to today uh, come to the final section here of where he's giving very practical instruction about how to use these gifts in the weekly gathering of the church. So follow along with me in your copy of the Bible. We'll start at verse 26 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and go to the end of the chapter. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says." If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in In order. order. This is the word of God. Uh, I was thinking how to summarize this text and what I think Paul is seeking to explain and a lot of words that begin with G were coming to mind. So I strung together a sentence that, you know the sentence when you're a kid where you say, it's like a tongue twister where you say things like, Sally sells seashells by the seashore. It's kind of like that, but with letters uh, that all begin with G. And we're going to have this on the screen, uh, I believe. But uh, the way I would summarize uh, what Paul is trying to convey here and what I, I believe the, the Lord wants us to hear from this text text today is this, that the use of God's gifts in our gatherings is to be governed for our good and his glory. So the use of God's gifts in our gatherings is to be governed for our good and his glory. And we're going to walk through these uh, texts. We'll uh, walk through these as we go, and you'll see kind of the outline, but you can even see now there's four headings. I'm going to have us work through this text and see what Paul is saying, that there's the reason for the gifts, there's restrictions that he places on the gifts. There's a respect for governance of the gifts that he expects to happen in this church, and then the use of these gifts is to reflect something of God. There's to be it's to be a reflection of God and what He is like. So we'll follow along under these headings. But let's start back at the beginning, verse 26. Uh, this would be uh, what I would I would describe as the reason for the gifts. Paul has already told them much of this, but he's going to rehash some of this. Uh, he's going to describe here as he gets to the ground level practicalities. He's reminding them of the reason that these gifts were given in the first place, that they are for building up. We'll see at the end of this verse. But I want to note a couple of things from verse 26 before we get to the end of verse 26, where he talks about building up. Paul here starts this section by saying, what then, brothers? It's this question. And I love this and I appreciate this about the Apostle Paul is that how he tackled this subject of spiritual gifts wasn't just... Cutting to the chase and answering their questions about how many can we share and who can share them and whatnot. He could have just started at verse 27 and just given them the answer and just said, like, because I said so, this is why, this is what you're supposed to do. But he's taken what we call multiple chapters. And he's given them understanding. He's given them rationale. He's helped them understand the whys behind these instructions, the, the reasons that these gifts are given and the very nature of them. He's patiently uh, taught them that, reminded them of that. And I think we've benefited from that as a church family, that, that we didn't just get instructions without context, but that we've been reminded what these gifts even are. So that phrase, what then, brothers, is is a reminder to us. He has given context in chapters 12 and 13 and even the start of 14 uh, that we don't have time to rehash today, um, but that gives a frame, a a reason, a grounding of why he's about to give uh, these very practical instructions. And he doesn't resort to sometimes what we do as parents or teachers just because I said so, Uh, but he's trying to, to give them understanding. And I love that he says this. He says, what then, brothers, Then he says, when you come together, when you come together, this is not the main point of this morning, but I just want to encourage us, I want to encourage you, no matter what age you are, no matter what your background is, when you see that phrase, when you come together, I want you to hear the assumption of God and of God's apostle that's writing this, that you would regularly gather with God's people that Christianity is not intended to just be lived as individuals out on your own, but there is this gathering that we get to do week by week at minimum on Sunday morning to worship Christ, uh, to learn about him, to sing to him, to be reminded about him. Paul expected that they would gather together, uh, that it was a normal part of their life and it ought to be a normal part of your life is to gather, if this is your church family, gather with us Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. Make it a priority to be with us, to worship Christ with us together. So he says, when you come together, then he, I love this, he says, each one has a hymn, lesson, revelation, tongue, or interpretation. I want us to hear in this, and again, this is not the main point today, but I want you to hear in that the value and the contribution of every person who is part of a church. That when we gather together, I think it's tempting in our culture today to sometimes think of the people who get to speak with microphones or the people who have instruments in their hand, or the people uh, who do things that are more up front, or the people who are contributing to the gathering. But Paul is saying in this church in Corinth that each one of them as they came together was to have something to contribute, was to have something to bring to benefit other Christians, to, to benefit the church that they were gathering with. And I would want you to have, a, each of you in the room, to have a grander vision, a bigger vision of what you can contribute to our gathering each week whether it's uh, simply using your voice uh, to sing with us or whether you have something as we operate in these gifts more, if you have something that the Lord has laid upon your heart that you feel like should be shared with the church. Uh, to during the week even be prayerful about how God may want to use you to speak encouragement to the gathered church or even to individuals within our church. To not just come and have uh, yourself in a seat here and, and just be passive in worship of God, but to come prepared. Uh, so to prioritize the weekly gathering and to prepare even for the weekly gathering and be praying and asking God, what might be ways that you want something, me to encourage another brother or sister that's here at CCC? Or that you might even want me to uh, encourage the collective church. And he says, each one has, and then he notes various types of things that people may contribute. He says, a hymn, a lesson. And then the things he's about to give more specific direction about a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But I love that he doesn't just jump to you only have a tongue or interpretation or a revelation, those prophecies and tongues. He's saying that even the songs that we sing or some sort of lesson that we could bring to something I've been learning recently, I can actually share with a brother or sister in Christ as we come together. And we can't all preach sermons and we can't all lead songs from up front, but we can speak to each other. We ought to speak to each other. We ought to be mindful of how we can benefit one another as we come together. And so uh, our hope as elders, as, as pastors here of our church, is in the new year, we've been talking about this, we've been uh, teaching on this, but our hope in the new year, starting even in January, is to have something, and we didn't come up with this name, uh, but is to have something that we're going to call a ministry microphone. Uh, here in our church. And it's not just going to be a free-for-all for for anybody to say whatever they want, but we'll probably even have it over here uh, somewhere where, and I'll share more detail about this, but where we could have during our gathering, Sunday by Sunday, we could have various members of our church uh, come and talk to one or two elders that'll be over here uh, about things that have been laid upon their heart that they at least would like to potentially share with the church things that they think may benefit, may build up the church as we gather together. Sometimes they may have been things that they have thought about throughout the week or that the Lord has shown them in the Word or that the Spirit has made known to them. Or sometimes it might be things they didn't even come prepared to share, but as we've been singing or as we've been praying, he's laid something upon their heart. But our desire is to be able to have context and opportunity, if the Lord gives us, for us to be able to share those together. To not just have a couple prayers and a couple songs and a sermon and then a song and then we're done, but to have have, uh, an organic nature of things where various people uh, could share things in the life of the church but under the supervision of the pastors and the oversight of the elders and I'll share more about that in a moment but here verse 26 I want us to remember with this first point the reason any of these gifts are given The reason any of these gifts are to be used is for building up, Paul says at the end of verse 26, right? He says that all things, everything when we come together, uh, from the time you step into the the building to the time you leave, everything that happens uh, should be done for the building up of fellow Christians, for the building up of our church. That includes things that are shared publicly, that includes things that are shared privately amongst us. We all should have eyes out to see how can I build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I benefit them? them this morning. and So Paul reminds them of that, and then he gets into more specifics. And we're going to see in verses 27 to 35, this is going to be the biggest section this morning, what I would call restrictions on the gifts. And the reason Paul is giving restrictions to them, and that the Holy Spirit is giving restrictions to us, is because things are supposed to build us up. That's why, that, that these things are actually to benefit us, they're to make sense to us, they're to point us to Jesus. And so Paul is saying, if that's going to happen, if people are going to be built up, there's some boundaries, there's some restrictions that you all need to keep in mind as you're using these particular gifts. There's, it's not just a free-for-all for you to do whatever you want and to, to practice these things however you want. And he, he gives restrictions in a couple of categories. We're going to see that he gives restrictions on tongues, restrictions on prophecies, and restrictions On women. And it's not that everything else in the life of the church is just hands off, we can do whatever we want, but these were issues in their church that Paul was giving them instruction about and things that we can learn by extension from for ourselves to know where are those boundaries, what are we to keep in mind as these things would potentially be shared. So he starts with probably for us what's the most complicated one, this gift of tongues. And you see uh, the, the restrictions that he places around tongues in verses 27 and 28. And you can look at those. And he, he's giving restrictions in a couple ways. First, he's giving restrictions about the number of them that could be shared, right? That's what he starts with. He says that there should only be two, or he says at most three so he's just he's remember this this is mind-boggling to me i was thinking about this this week that he has said earlier in this chapter with prophecy and tongues that he wishes all of them would do this he said that about both but then when he's talking about the gathering for both these gifts he says only two or maybe three at most and so he, he's immensely restricting what, what, how these gifts are going to be used, even if they're given in more abundance to be used privately. Uh, in the gathering, he's, he's snapping back and saying, only a couple at most, uh, two or three. So he limits them in number. And then just like he does with prophecy, he gives restrictions about the order or the pacing in which they could be shared. He doesn't want, even if they allow two or three, he doesn't want them all to be shared simultaneously. He says that they should be done in order, each in turn is the phrase that he uses Uh, in verse 27, that they should be shared in turn. And this makes sense to us, right? Because we saw last week that uh, that if someone hears someone speaking in a tongue, which we don't have time to get into all of this, I would encourage you to listen to last Sunday's sermon if you haven't yet, but they are going to be hearing a language that they don't understand and a, a language typically that the speaker doesn't even understand. And so you could imagine that would be strange enough in and of itself. But then if you start imagining multiple people doing that simultaneously, it's just like chaos and confusion starts to abound. And you could see people thinking more and more, what is going on here? This is bizarre to me. This is strange to me. This is not helping me be built up in my faith. If that's what these gifts are for, it's not doing that. I was trying to imagine a a scenario like this, and uh, we don't have these a lot anymore, but I was remembering uh, on old radios when we'd have like a little radio dial, and you would be sometimes in between radio stations, and you would hear sometimes when you were at certain places, you would hear like multiple uh, channels kind of overlapping in in different places, and you couldn't understand any of it almost. You couldn't even understand any of the phrases, even if it was all in English, you couldn't understand it. Uh, Or nowadays, I I was thinking of uh, Me and Stephanie, we both like listening to podcasts sometimes while we're doing chores and things like that. And sometimes I'll be listening to mine and she'll be listening to hers. And then when we kind of come near each other doing our uh, chores, it's just... It, it like frazzles my mind because I can't understand anything. Like it's all English even coming to me, but because there's multiplicity of voices, I just cannot understand anything and one or both of us end up turning them off so we can understand uh, what is going on. And so, so Paul, in that vein, to avoid things like that, where it's just chaos and people speaking even in unknown languages in uh, ways that are confusing and just multiplying, Paul says at most three... And one at a time, if they're going to be shared. But then he restricts him and says that if they are to ever be shared in the gathering, someone has to interpret it. And we saw this last week. The whole point of things to be shared is that they're understood by people, that they actually make sense to them, that they actually benefit them in some way. And Paul is saying if a tongue would ever be of benefit to somebody other than the speaker of it, it has to be interpreted. It has to be shared, in our case, in English uh, so that people could actually know what is being said. And in the absence of that, he says they are to not be shared. Uh, they're to not be spoken aloud in the church. He says that they should keep silent and just speak to himself and to God, he says, to, to pray to God in that language. And so I would want us to know, and the elders have talked about this, I would want us to know as a church family a couple of things when it comes to the practice of tongues. And I'll, I'll flesh this out a little bit in a few minutes. But for now, I would say this, because I know some of you who do pray in tongues right now, which I praise God for that, that God has given you that gift and he blesses you through that gift. But as we begin to implement uh, these gifts as God would give them, I would ask you and tell you, not ask you, tell you, do not pray those aloud in the service. Like we don't want people uh, praying them out loud. If they're to ever be shared, it would come through this mechanism that we're going to have up here of of a ministry microphone where there'll be elders who you could, if you felt, uh, even though I think most tongues will be directed towards God and not for the whole church, If you think that there is one that God would want you to share with the church, you should come and tell us. And then we will seek through, and it may come in different ways, but if there may be someone who has a gift of interpretation or something that the Spirit made known to someone else, uh, as they came ready that morning for worship, that, hey, somebody may share a tongue, and this is what I believe uh, that it means. There may be mechanisms like that uh, that we could do where we would share probably even then the interpretation of the tongue to be heard in English by us as the church, not even necessarily the tongue itself, because the point is not to hear that language and be impressed with that person, but to hear the message in English and have our eyes turned toward God. And so I would would tell you, do not pray aloud in tongues from your seat. And I will assure you, we most definitely are not going to have, as some churches do, just an open time where people pray in tongues and where we encourage that. That will not ever happen as long as I am here, as long as our current elders are here. That will not happen. Uh, Because Paul is saying that if they're ever to be prayed aloud, uh, they should be... uh, through interpretation. That is what is to be shared with the church. So he limits the number and the order of tongues, and then he says that they must be interpreted if they're to ever be shared aloud with the church. And then in verses 29 to 35, he gives a little more time to this subject of prophecies and and places restrictions and boundaries, uh, some similar, some different, about the gift of prophecy. And if you were here two Sundays ago, uh, you heard more in depth about how we would understand Paul to be speaking about prophecy, that there's something that the Spirit reveals to a believer that then they are to make known to the church, not in any way on par with scripture, but something nonetheless that the Spirit makes known to a believer uh, that is to be shared then with the church. We call it a human report of a divine revelation. And about this gift of prophecy, Paul gives a couple of parameters. He gives restrictions. He, he gives uh, restrictions about the number and the order of them, just like he did with tongues. He said, so he says that there should be two or three, let two or three prophets speak, he says. Uh, but then he adds this, this restriction with the gift of prophecy where he says, then, let the others weigh what is said. And so if anything prophetic is to ever be shared, again, through the oversight of the elders, but if it's ever to be shared with the church, it's then to be weighed by the congregation. It's to, and we w- will not like publicly be conversing about these things and weighing them in a public sense, but uh, we would weigh them in our hearts. We would want everybody who hears them To be not just taking that, oh, this is the word of God, absolutely no question, but to be weighing it in our own minds and hearts, processing it, is this biblical? is it fitting uh, to to weigh the, the, the truthfulness first and foremost of it and then to weigh what bearing it may have on our life and to never hear it as a thus saith God in an absolute sense like this is going to happen or this must happen but to weigh it test it and see what bearing or effect it may have upon them as an individual or upon us as a church so Paul says that that should happen uh, that that these things should not just be said in an absolute way, but that there should be a weighing that happens in our minds and hearts. And I would note for us here that uh, that these are kindnesses of God, uh, that he limits the number of these things and he gives specific directions about how uh, they are used in the life of the church. because and we're not told all this, but uh, I would I would imagine that the reason Paul is is restricting the number of these gifts, if they're to be shared at all, is so that these gifts of the Spirit, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, which he seems to think will be even more prominent and wants to be more prominent than the gift of tongues, the reason he's restricting these gifts is so that they don't become the center of our worship. So they don't become the things that we are dependent upon to engage with God. So if you can imagine if there's just a multiplicity of these things happening all the time, that this is going to start to be diminished that the more common, definitive, unquestionable means of grace of reading Scripture, of having it taught to us and open for us, that those things would start to fade to the background And even in the time that's allotted to them and the the engagement of them, or things like prayers in known languages, or things like taking communion together, things uh, like singing together that we are commanded to do when we gather. It's not an optional thing, but we're commanded to do. You could see how prophecy and tongues could just overpower those things and start to to take precedent over them, but Paul is wanting them to keep in their proper place and to make sure that the, the more common prevalent means of grace remain the main thing things as the church of God gathers. I was thinking it's kind of like dessert. Uh, Dessert is great. I'm a big fan of dessert, right? But you don't have to have dessert when you eat. Growing up, I didn't have dessert a whole lot. When we did, I would love it. But you could imagine if someone just eats dessert all the time, it's a good gift, but it starts to, to diminish the just meat and potatoes, the things that you need to thrive, you need to have within you to have strength and longevity and life. And these gifts, they are good gifts. They're things that we want to see the Spirit give and that we want to see used in the life of our church, but in some ways they're like dessert. That there may be some weeks, we don't know. There may be many weeks where none of these manifest at all, and that would be okay. Uh, That that we're not dependent upon these gifts, but when God does give them, we don't overindulge on them and just glut ourselves on these things as if this is where God is and no other place. Um, But we see them as good gifts of God, but we keep them within the proper bounds and the limits uh, that Paul and God is giving to us uh, as we use them. So we see restrictions on tongues and restrictions on prophecies. Now we get to probably, actually, I think this may be the more complicated one for us culturally, what I would call restrictions on women in verses 34 and 35. So Paul here uh, seems, if you just read this and you had no other context at all, not even the rest of this letter, not the rest of the New Testament, if you just had these couple verses it would seem very much on first blush that Paul is just saying that every woman, as they come to, to gather with the church, should just keep her mouth shut, to use common vernacular. That seems on surface like what he is saying. He says that the women, he says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. But I would encourage us to remember some things, and this is not me trying to like dance out of this because our, our culture uh, would bristle this, but I would encourage us to remember some things that have just been said even within the last couple verses and within this letter and within the rest of Paul's writings that help us understand what I think is going on here and what he is trying, because he's very clearly prohibiting something. He's very clearly limiting the speech of female believers in some way. There, there's no way around that. But what is he restricting? Like What is, what is the boundary? What's the, the fence that he's putting up here? I'd encourage you to look back up at verses 28 and verse 30, for example. Paul has just, within the last couple of sentences, used this phrase of keeping silent. Did you see that when we read it through the first time? He talked about how if there's someone who wants to share a tongue, but there's nobody to interpret it, he says that they should keep silent in church, right? So he's prohibiting speech of that nature by that person. And then in verse 30, he's imagining this scenario where there may be a few prophetically gifted people and one of the people is sharing and then the Spirit in that moment is revealing something else to one of the other people with the gift of prophecy and they're ready to share. He says that that first person, he says, at the end of verse 30, should be silent. So he's already used, even just within the last couple of sentences, this phrase about keeping silent. And there's there's absolutely no way we would interpret those texts as saying, whoever those individuals are, that they are just to never say anything in the life of the church. But it's these particular types of speech that Paul is saying, do not do that. Don't speak a tongue without interpretation. And don't speak over each other when the gifts of prophecy, prophetic words are being shared. Do not speak in that way. He's used that phrase to be silent even to command those people. So it's a, a prohibiting of certain types of speech. And I would argue here, and I think this is clear as you read the flow of this text, that when Paul says in verse 34 that women should keep silent in the churches, I would argue that he's continuing the, the whole discussion that he's been doing about prophecies in verses 29 and following, because he's given directions about if prophecies are to ever be shared in the church, that they should be weighed. That's the verb that he gave, that there's supposed to be this testing or this sifting of these things that will happen, whether they should ever be shared at all, and then how they should be received by the church. And that is the, the issue, I believe, as he turns his attention to females and saying that they should keep silent in the churches is in that domain of weighing prophecies that domain of trying to decide whether certain prophecies should be shared, and then trying to, if there's ever public guidance that's given to the church about how to receive those words or not, that seems to be in the flow of the argument what Paul is saying women should not be a part of, that they should not verbally be giving directions to the church about how to receive these prophecies or making decisions about whether they should be shared at all. Uh, Paul seems to prohibit that from them. That is what he's saying that they should be silent about, and so uh, there would be this public vetting or evaluating or weighing of prophecies. And if this again, and if you don't follow with that line of argument, one thing that I would point you to is back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can read that later if you'd like, but I am immensely grateful that God has given us 1 Corinthians 11 as well. Because if you go back and read that text to this same church, he probably would have written this just a few minutes before he wrote what we have been reading today. Paul gave them instructions about how females should pray and prophesy in the gathering. Go back and read that. He's giving directions about how to do it. He's not forbidding it. He's not saying don't do it. He's telling them how to do it. Things to keep in mind as they would share these things, as they would speak in the life of the church. And so Paul is in 1 Corinthians 14 then describing this restriction on the weighing of prophecies and a silence on the part of females in the weighing of prophecies. Paul, in other writings like 1 Timothy chapter 2, has made very clear that he does prohibit uh, females from teaching and having authority over men in the local church. And I want us to know, anybody uh, in this church, whether you're new or long-standing, that we always, will, always have, always will follow that command of Scripture, that we believe that God has given a unique, in the creation, order of creation, given a unique responsibility to men and even qualified, gifted men to lead within the life of his people. Uh, to give authoritative teaching in the life of the church Uh, but we understand prophecy and believe paul understood prophecy to not be that authoritative teaching but it's it's a reporting of something that the spirit has made known to a person to the rest of the church it has no authority behind it it has no uh, formality and and binding nature to it that the teaching of a pastor as he would preach the word of god does and so uh, Last thing I'll say on this issue, I would encourage you to remember also uh, what we, a text we read a few weeks ago from Acts chapter 2, when we're thinking about this gift of prophecy and whether females should be able to, to share gifts of prophecy in the public gathering. Remember in Acts chapter 2, there was this uh, prophecy that had given by the apostle Joel, or prophet Joel there were no apostles then the prophet Joel about what was going to happen when the holy spirit was poured out in this new era this end of days and one of the things he said that came to fruition there in acts chapter 2 as the holy spirit came down was acts chapter 2:17 where he was the apostle Peter was quoting Joel and said that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy that this gift of prophecy was going to expand not just to males but to females and not just to the old but to the young, that this, this gift was going to be widely given and as such it was to be used then in the life of the church. So a couple of quick things of application to help flesh out what we're imagining uh, these restrictions looking like as we seek to try to actually use these gifts and pray for the Spirit to give them and as we want to follow biblical commands. Uh, I would encourage you to, to note the language that repeats in this text from today where Paul starts several of these sentences with the word, our word, let Like let this happen, let this happen, let people do this, let people do this. That is an important note because he's not telling them they have to do these things every time they gather. It's not as if when we come together, he's saying you've got to have a couple people share prophecies, you've got to have some people share tongues, you've got to have people do this and that. He's saying let it happen. Like, it's something that we can allow. It's something that we would receive as gifts of the Spirit, but it's not something we are mandated to do. So if Sundays go by where we don't have people sharing prophecies, and if we don't have people that are sharing tongues that are interpreted, that is okay. The Spirit of God is no less with us. Uh, He is with us. He is among us. uh, But when they are given, we are to let them be utilized in certain ways. Okay? Okay. But how we're imagining doing this, I mentioned that we're hoping to have and planning to have what we'll call a ministry microphone. And we'll have at least one elder uh, who will be uh, up here at the front every Sunday as we gather together, who will be there. We're not just going to have this microphone where anybody can stand up and at any point in time say anything. If there would be something that, as you understand these gifts, and if you believe that you have received these gifts and have something to contribute, we would encourage you to come to that elder. Uh, during the service or you could even let us know these things in advance you could talk to us during the week Uh, you could let us know these things but to come and share with him what you feel like the spirit has laid upon your heart that you would like to share with the church and then that elder uh, whether it's me or rod or larry or tom or as we have future elders uh, they will talk with you briefly they will hear uh, what it is that you would like to share and uh, then that we will process that. We'll have at least one other elder nearby uh, that they can talk to and maybe talk with you uh, briefly because we may have to make these decisions fairly quickly. And we'll decide based on a number of criteria, like the truthfulness of it, the, the clarity of it, the fittingness of it based on what God is already doing among us that morning. We will decide whether to have that be shared or not. Uh, whether, and if we say no to you, I want to encourage you that is not a sign that you, necess- you may have misheard the Spirit. You may have uh, jumped to conclusions, I don't, but I want you to know that's not always the case. There, he says for people who legitimately are speaking words of prophecy, he tells them there can come a point where you just be quiet. And that doesn't mean that it was not of the Spirit. So there may be times where the, the Lord has made something known to you that maybe is more intended to be directed to a private person. In, in private or where it would be something that it's it's not real clear or clarified and we'd encourage you to pray more about it and to seek guidance from the spirit about whether there may be something more uh more specific or more intelligible about that so if we see people come up here and then walk back to their seat i don't want you to like hang your head down low like oh man the elders shot me down on that one there, there may be legitimate reasons uh, that we choose not to have you share um and we want to encourage also not just to think in terms of prophecy and tongues, as if those are the only things that we want anybody to be able to share in the life of the church. If there are simply passages of Scripture, that, as you've been reading in, that, in the Word that week, or as you've been gathering together and worship with us, there's some text of Scripture that you think, man, this has been on my heart. I think this would immensely bless the congregation to hear. Come and tell us that. We would love to even have people share things like that, that aren't necessarily that like, the Holy Spirit revealed something powerful to me, but it could be more basic, fundamental things that happen with every Christian where God's showed you something in the Word that you think would benefit the church. Come tell us that. We would love to have you share things like that. Our, our church would benefit from having more voices, from having more perspective, from having more, uh, more encouraging words from more people. And if, if we do uh, decide to have you share, we'll, it'll probably typically be during a time of music so we're not interrupting the teaching of the Word of God. We'll come to a pause. We'll communicate with the leaders. We'll come to a pause in the, the music, and we'll invite you to share uh, what we would uh, what you have told us that you'd like to share. We may give you a couple encouragements before you do it, but I would encourage you to then share and be as simple as you can and clear as you can and as Christ-honoring as you can, um, but to share that then with the church. And we may offer some explanation or clarifying uh, comments beforehand or, or afterward, especially as we're starting up the use of these gifts to remind us what's going on and why this is good. Uh, but I am looking forward to how the Spirit may move among us and uh, i would anticipate that the gift of prophecy based on how paul describes these will be more prominently used more prominently uh, given by the spirit to our church more prominently shared but uh, tongues may be things that god would want to be shared here and the particularly the interpretation of those tongues in english and we do not want in the spirit of verse 39 we do not want to forbid that uh, the Spirit may indeed have that gift to be shared with us, but we would anticipate that the gift of prophecy uh, would be far more prominent. I'll say one other thing, and then I'll, I'll move on here, is that um, the, we are going to begin this and probably perpetually have this sharing at this ministry microphone be done by members of our church by those of us, among us who are members of our church. And I want you to hear our heart in that, as not to just think only the members of our church are the only people who have the Holy Spirit or that hear from him. But the reason we want to do that is to, it's a safeguard in some ways, to be honest. You could imagine from our perspective, if someone we don't know at all comes into our gathering and says, hey, I have the gift of prophecy. I want to share something with the church I, just to be frank, I'm not about to give them a microphone uh, to speak to you all and to, to, to share things with you that they say is from God. Like, we want the people who are sharing with us to be known by us, to be people that are of godly character, that we know they love the Lord, we know that they love the truth. And so one way to do that, to ensure that we are safeguards and that we're putting maybe our own fences up is to say that this is going to be members of our church. This is going to be men and women who we know are followers of Christ, who love the truth, who love our church, who are for us, and we don't have to wonder. We don't have to speculate. So it will be for members of our church. So I would say as a little plug, if you think you have one of these gifts and you would like to be able to share it and you're not a member, talk to us about becoming a member. And why we do that, I'd love to talk with you about that. It's nothing strange. It's just basic Christianity that we agree to live out together. But we will have this be uh, for members uh, to share. So that was the biggest chunk, the restrictions on the gifts and a little bit of how we plan to, to have that come to fruition in January and beyond as we start to, to give these opportunities to us as a collective church. But Paul anticipates in this text, because he knew this church and he'd, he'd probably received a letter from them asking about these very gifts, he anticipated that when he's giving these rules, these restrictions, that there's going to be some pushback. That There's going to be people who just say, no, Paul, like, we don't care what you say. Like, we're going to, we're here, you're there. We know our situation. You don't. We're going to do what we want. And there is real potential for this in churches even today for us to hear even the words of an apostle and say, we don't need to follow that. Like we know better, we're mature, we're godly, we can do what we want. And Paul knew that they would face this temptation. You see this in verses 36 through 38. He knew that they would face this temptation uh, and churches to come would face this temptation to think, and he asked these rhetorical questions like, or was it from you that the word of God came? Like, are you the one? Like, did you just come up with Christianity yourself or did somebody bring the message to you? And he says, or are you the only ones that has reached? Like are you all the ones that have the corner of the market on what's wise and good and appropriate in the life of a church? And the clear answer to there is no. Like the gospel came to you through apostles. It came Paul saying it came to you through people like me. Like I'm the one, we're the ones who brought the gospel to you. You do not now just have the luxury of just saying, Well, we're gonna flesh out the Christian life however we want. We're going we're to do things however we want. And there are some churches, hear me out on this, there are some churches that are even well-intentioned, I would say, in trying to go beyond the restrictions that Paul sets up here. That, that There are churches uh, that, that believe, there are individual Christians even, who believe that these are good gifts. Like these are things that benefit other Christians when they're received. Why should we only limit it to three? Like this church just kind of had their problems and got kind of wacky with it. We can do it however much we want because like we're mature and we have godliness and we, we can handle these things. Or those people might not have been able to handle tongues and, and people speaking in tongues, but we can. Like we, we, we are mature enough to do it. And Paul, I can just see him shaking his head as he's writing this letter saying, no, 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 no. Like you are not that mature, you are not that wise. And he would want them. You see this in verse 37. He says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul is saying, as you read this letter, Corinthian Church, and as you read this letter, Christ's covenant church in 2019, as you hear my words, hear the words of Jesus. He's the one through me telling this to you. And as such, you do not, you never will have the right to supersede those. You never do have the right, never will have the right to set those aside and think that you know better or that you can do things differently. And he wants them to, in his voice, to hear Christ's voice, to hear the voice of the Lord even in the giving of these restrictions. And we as your pastors and we as a church family must remember this that we never will have the luxury, even if we get good at using these gifts, even if we get used to them and see them as a good blessing of, of God, we never will have the latitude or right to go beyond these and just start having everybody pray in tongues or start having more and more prophecies be shared. We cannot do that. We must not do that. And we will not do that as a local church. Like We will be bound by the words of Paul here because they are the words of Jesus for us. And we must follow them. We would be fools if we didn't. Even if we're well-intentioned, even if we think that this will be a blessing to our church, I assure you that it will not. Like it is never wise, it is never healthy, it is never good to go beyond the boundaries that God has set up. And we will not do that as a church family. And so he gives these uh, restrictions. He, he told us the reason the gifts are given. Uh, he gives us, it calls for us to have this respect of governance, this respect for the restrictions that he places upon us. But I want you to remember in that alliterated sentence that I said, that these, these restrictions are not just for our good, but they're for God's glory. They show us something about him that they demonstrate something to be true about him. Paul ends this section in verses 39 and 40 by reiterating some things he's already said. He says, My brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Then he says this, But all things should be done decently and in order. And that And When I hear that, that decently and in order, my mind goes back uh, to a, a statement earlier in this text in verse 33, something that when we read it, we might just have let our eyes bounce over. We might not have thought much about it because we're so in the zone of, let's hear the rules. Like, let's hear the restrictions. Let's hear what women are allowed to do and what, what can be shared with tongues that we miss this, this pinnacle statement in verse 33, where Paul is saying something about God. And the reason he's saying that there's this this subjectiveness of prophets to prophets, and the reason there's these restrictions given, there's this reason that things are governed, he says in verse 33, is because of what God is like. He says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And amen to that. God is not a God that wants his people to be confused. That wants them to be scratching their head like, what is going on here? I do not get this. I do not understand this. He is a God by his very nature, a God of peace, a God of order, a God that is to be understood, a God that speaks clearly. And I was thinking back to ways that we see this throughout the Bible, ways we see this characteristic of God on display, that he's a God of order, that he's a God of peace, not a God of confusion. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, do you remember how it starts? It says that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. There's this imagery throughout the Old Testament of of water being like chaos. But God was ruling over it. God was hovering over it. And as he speaks things into existence, he separated those things. He showed his control over the chaos of the ocean, over the chaos of the sea. He gave order where there was chaos. From the very beginning, God was doing that and showing that to be true about himself, that he was a God of order, a God of control, not a God of craziness, a God of chaos. And then praise God as the story of our universe and of us continues, God, uh, he spoke He didn't leave human beings in ignorance to just kind of figure out our own path, to kind of figure out our own way and fumble around in the dark, trying to find our own way as if we could even do that. But when there was ignorance, God spoke clearly. Where there was chaos in the beginning, God brought order. And where there was ignorance, God spoke clearly. God made things known about himself. He continued to reveal himself throughout the scriptures, and then he revealed himself finally and foremost in the person of Jesus Christ. Because where we see our God being a God of order and a God of peace is seen most clearly in the work of Jesus. Because it's not just that he brought order out of chaos and brought knowledge where there was ignorance, but where there was hostility between us and God, he brought peace like where there was this division and separation and and brokenness between us and God, God did not just leave it that way. He sent his very son into this world to restore that, to die upon the cross to take our sin, to take our judgment, to take our punishment upon himself and be crushed by the heavenly father in our place and be laid in a grave that should be ours and he raised him up from the dead, and now he offers to any of us and grants to any of us who will repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus that what has been broken, where there has been separation, where there has been distance, where there has been this just breach between us and God, he says, I will receive you back. Like, I will, I will make myself known to you relationally. I, I, will, I will make you my children. I, I will make you mine forever. So where there was hostility, God has given peace in the person of Christ. So God, Paul says, no surprise, is not a God of confusion, not a God of chaos and strangeness and lacking of clarity and just this division that can come, but God from beginning to end is a God of peace. And as his people, we are to be a people who are marked by peace. We are to be a people who are marked by order and decency and clarity, not by chaos, not by division, not by confusion. We are to be marked by clarity and by peace, even in our very worship gatherings. And that's why he gives these restrictions, because then our gatherings become a reflection of God. Because we're not just called to reflect God as individuals, but we're called to reflect him as a church that we have each other's best interests in mind, that we're clear when we speak to each other, that we're speer- clear when we speak in front of each other. We are to reflect the nature of God even by the way we function together. Some may read verse 40, this, uh, I love things being decent and in order just as a human being. Some people may read uh, those, uh, that verse 40 and just think, well, like decency and order should mean that we have no spontaneity that we have no subjectivity to how the spirit works among us. We need it to be decent, orderly. We need to know when we come in here exactly what's going to happen Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. But Paul cannot mean that when he says that things are to be done decently in order because he's been encouraging the use of prophecy. He's been encouraging the potential use of tongues. He's been encouraging the use of these gifts that are, yes, subjective, but are nonetheless beneficial to the life of the church. And he kindly, graciously gives us these boundaries in which to follow, uh, in which to use them. And these gifts are for our good. They are from the spirit of God and they are for the building up of his people, but they are not to just be used however we see fit. They're to be used within the boundaries that are given not just by Paul, but by Christ himself for his people. Amen. Amen. The misuse of spiritual gifts is very real. There are churches, I would say, even not far from here. There are churches that you all have been part of, some of you in this room, who grossly misuse these spiritual gifts. The Corinthian church was grossly misusing these gifts. But the response of Paul and the response of God is to not then disuse these gifts, to just shelve them, to put them away, to box them up and put them in the attic, but to use them the right way to use them within these boundaries, to use them within these restrictions. And by God's grace, that's what we will do as a church family.